All right, I got a picture for you. I want to know who this is. Anybody know who that is? Who is it? Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Very good. How many of you seen Jake and the Neverland Pirates? All right, okay. Now, what happens in every episode of Jake and the Neverland Pirates? What does Captain Hook do at the beginning of every episode? He tricks him, he steals something from him, doesn't he? Good job. That's right. At the beginning, that's the kind of the, the, the theme of every show is, is Captain Hook steals something. And Jake's got to go and get it back. But it's not just Jake. He's got a faithful crew with him, the Neverland Pirates. But if you watch the show, at the beginning in the introduction, it's not just the characters that are invited to come along with Jake. It's you and I. If you're watching the show, we're supposed to be part of it. We're supposed to come along with Jake and the Neverland Pirates to go get back whatever it is uh, that Captain Hook has stolen. Now, in very simple terms, that's really what's going on in this world. That in this world that God created, this world that God created to be perfect, this world that God wanted to create so that we could enjoy it and be blessed by it, so that we could have a beautiful life here and we can enjoy fellowship with God? Well, through sin, Satan has stolen the world from God. That Satan has used sin to separate us from God. And so instead of being able to experience all of God's blessings and goodness, the presence of sin makes it uh, impossible for God to do that. But God has a plan, just like Jake. He's not going to allow Captain Hook simply to steal the world and God is not going to allow Satan to take his world away and so God has a plan to get it back. And it's not just a plan that God is doing, it's something he's inviting us to come and participate with him to go and get this world back from Satan because God does not like a world that is filled with darkness and sadness and discouragement and God wants to bring goodness and blessing and hope. And so this morning what we're gonna do is we're going to try to understand better God's plan to save the world. God's plan to go and get the world back from Satan, sin, and death. Now to do this, we're gonna look at a couple of passages from the Bible. Now when I thought about this, I thought, well maybe if we're really orienting this towards children, we could try to not use as many scriptures because it might be easier to pay attention if we're not in different passages. But the more I prayed about it, the more I thought, you know what, you need to see this in God's word because it's God's plan and not mine. It's God's plan to save the world, not my plan. So I want you to hear it in his exact words, exactly the way he said it. But what I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna take the words that he used and I'm gonna to try to simplify them so that we can understand them together. And then I'm gonna use some examples to help explain them. So even if you're young and you hear some of these words in these passages we look at and you go, I don't know how to understand that. God through his Holy Spirit I think is gonna help explain it to us. And we're gonna work really hard this morning uh, to try to understand it. But God's plan is so important that we need to listen very closely to what he says. So we're gonna begin in the book of Genesis chapter 18. Now you don't need to turn there because I'm gonna have the words on the screen because I wanna do something with the words on the screen that's gonna help us understand. Now the reason we start in Genesis 18 is remember God wants to save the world and one of the people who's key in God's plan to rescue the world is a man named Abraham. 
And in fact, Abraham was the first person that God ever revealed the plan that he has to rescue the world. And he did it right here in this passage. And this is what God said. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now in that last section, is God's plan to rescue the world? And to kind of take all of the language that God used and put it in a way that we can remember, there are three steps to God's plan. As God is going about getting the world back from Satan, sin, and death, there are three very distinct, clear steps, and they're all in this passage. Step number one is in yellow. See it now up there? Step number one. For I have chosen him. That's step one. God chooses Abraham. Step one, God chooses Abraham. Step two is in the red in the passage, okay? So that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. All of that can be summarized in step two, which is Abraham obeys. To do what is right and just means to obey what God tells Abraham to do. So step one, God chooses Abraham. Step two in God's plan to rescue the world is that Abraham and his children and descendants obey God, which leads to step three, which is in green on the screen, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, what did God promise Abraham? The earlier part, the part that's still in white, tells us that all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So step three, we can summarize that by saying, step three, God saves others, or God blesses others. So step one, God chooses Abraham. Step two, Abraham obeys. Step three, God uses Abraham's obedience to save others others. That's the plan. God wants to go out and save the whole world. He wants to rescue the whole world. And his plan is, step one, God chooses Abraham. Step two, Abraham obeys. Step three, God uses that obedience to save others. Let me show it to you in another passage, this time speaking of the nation of Israel, which is Abraham's physical descendants. Exodus chapter 19 also a very important passage in the Bible. And in Exodus 19, it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now remember, this is the same plan. So in this plan, step number one, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God chose Israel. Step one, God chooses. Here, it's not Abraham, 
as it is his descendants, Israel. God chooses Israel. Step two, also in red, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, to keep the covenant is to obey. Step two in God's plan is for Israel to obey. God chooses Israel, Israel obeys. Step three, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What that means is, is God was going to use the nation of Israel to go out and rescue all the rest of the nations. Same plan. Step one, God chooses Israel. Step two, Israel obeys God's teachings. Step three, God uses their obedience to rescue the world. This is God's plan to save the world. Let me show it to you in one more Old Testament passage. This time, 1 Kings chapter 8. And I've chosen three passages because I want to show you that this is the plan. It's the plan in Genesis. It's the plan in Exodus. It's the plan in 1 Kings. It's the plan that God has to get the world back. I won't read the whole thing, but let me show you the three steps again. Step number one, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. His people Israel, stump one, God chooses. God chose Israel as his people. Step two, may he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. Step two, Israel obeys. Step three, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Step three, God saves others. Same plan. Step one, God chooses. Step two, Israel obeys. Step three, God uses their obedience to save the world. This is his plan. Okay, now those are some important, important passages from the Old Testament. And those are the three steps. Can you say them with me? Step one, God chooses. Step two, obey. Step three, God saves others. Okay, now to help you understand what this is, not just in these, I want to give us an example that hopefully, uh, especially if you're young, might help you to understand this. How many of you here have ever been on a sports team? How many? Raise your hand if you've been on a sports team. All right. So this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to pretend that all of us here are a soccer team, okay? This past fall, I was a soccer coach. I got to coach third through fifth grade boys and girls. It was great. It was tiring, but it was great. I really enjoyed it. So what I want you to do is pretend that we're a soccer team and I'm the coach, all right? So today we're at practice, and we want to work on practice today on shooting, okay? We want to score lots of goals. We want to have good, uh, good form while we shoot. So today we're going to do some drills that are going to help us learn that. So, Braden, Borman, come on up here. You're one of our teammates. Uh, come on up here into the middle of the, the circle here, and we're going to do some soccer practice. So come on out here. I got a soccer ball right here. Got that? Okay. So today, uh, while your teammates are watching, we're going to work on a little drill here, okay? A shooting drill. What I want you to do is, uh, which, which foot do you like to shoot with? My right foot. Your right foot. Okay. So what I want you to do is uh, we want good form 
for our shooting, okay? So what you're gonna do is, in just a moment, you're gonna come up here and, and you're gonna run forward, you're gonna plant your left foot, because you're gonna shoot with your right, right next to the ball, okay? And then, because we're shooting, we're not gonna use the inside of our foot or the toe or the outside, we're gonna use the top here, right on the laces. So what I want you to do is I want you to put your foot down when it's time, lock your ankle in place, your toes pointing at the ground, and then you're gonna step up, you're gonna hop, and you're gonna kick it, all right? You got that? Step back here, let's give it a try. All right, kick it right out there, that's the goal out there, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, give it a kick. Nice, good, that was great. Okay, let's try that again. Wow, we got it up here again, look at that. All right, we'll use this one again. Okay, but we need a goal, we need a goal. Aaron, stand up, go ahead, stand up. <laughs> Nate, stand up. Come on, all right, so there's our goal. All right, so remember, good form. Come right here, you're gonna line it up. All right, remember, you're gonna plant your left foot, lock your ankle, point at the toes of the ground, and then you're gonna snap your leg forward, okay? All right, Braden, give that a good shot. Nice, okay. All right, one more, one more. Ooh, you think we can do this even harder? Let's have, uh, go ahead, Nate, sit down. Jake, stand up. We're gonna make this goal really tough. If you hit your dad in the head, that would be awesome, okay? All right, buddy, remember, lock the ankle, left foot plant right next to it, give it a go. Oh, that's good, all right. Thank you very much. You can go back and sit down. That was awesome. Good job, Braden. <clears throat> okay, how many of you have been in a sports practice and seen something like that happen, where the coach says we're gonna learn something today, and then he picks one of the players to come and to demonstrate, gives them the instructions and the player demonstrates. Have you seen that happen? Okay, that's this thing. That's what we're talking about. I chose Braden. You notice we didn't take volunteers. I chose Braden brought him up here and gave him instructions. This is how I want you to kick it. I don't want you to do it the way you want to do it. I want you to do it the way I want you to do it. I want you to lock your ankle. I want you to use your laces. I want you to plant your foot. I want you to snap your leg. I gave him instructions as the coach. He obeyed those instructions and the whole team is blessed, meaning we all get to see what a properly kicked soccer ball looks like as well as learn, well, I, that, that coach must know what he's talking about. Because you saw this demonstrated in the right way. This is God's plan to rescue the world. Step one, he chooses. Step two, he teaches that person how to live life so that when they obey, the whole world can see, ah, his coach, God, knows how life ought to be lived and people can put their faith in God and learn life is not supposed to be lived however you feel like living it, but the way God says it's supposed to be lived. That's God's plan to rescue the world. Now let me show it to you in one more passage. And the reason why I've got this passage is because it's about us. Not about Abraham, not about Israel, but specifically about us, you and, and me. That if you're a believer in Jesus, this is talking about you, and it's from the book of the Bible, 1 Peter, that we've been studying together as a church. And this is what Peter says. But you, meaning you and me, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Okay, God's plan. What was step one, God? Chooses. Step one, you are a chosen people. That means that if you're a believer in Jesus, God picked you just like I picked Braden. I didn't ask for volunteers, I picked him. Come, if you're a Christian, you need to know that God has chosen you. What was step two? Obey, we obey. Step two, live such good lives among the pagans. Now pagans is another word, uh, it's kind of an old fashioned word for people who don't believe in Jesus. Okay, that's what that's talking about. And what Peter is saying, live such good lives, which means obey God, especially when you're around other people who don't know God. Okay, just like we did with Brayden, I didn't say kick the ball any way you feel like kicking the ball. I said kick it the way I've taught you to kick it. God says the same thing to us. He's not saying just go ahead and live life however you feel like living life. I chose you to bring you up on a stage so that you would live life the way I've taught you to live life. Step two, that's obeying. So that step three, which is what? God saves others so that they, meaning those who don't yet believe in Jesus, may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now that doesn't mean that the non-Christian on the day Jesus comes back says, oh, I was wrong. That Christian over there was right. I should have believed. That's not what that means. What it means is, is that when you have been chosen by God and obey God, non-Christians around you see that and come to put their faith in God now so that when Jesus returns, they're part of the group that is giving him glory. Okay, same three steps, but this time it's us. God chooses us, we obey, God uses our obedience to bring people to himself. So what this means is tomorrow, when you're at school, and maybe there's a substitute teacher, and none of the other classmates are respecting the substitute teacher at all, they're giving her a very hard time and they're not obeying and not listening, you need to know that God chose you to be a Christian and placed you in that school so that you would obey him and respect authority and obey those in authority over you, even if it's a substitute teacher, so that God can use your obedience to help that teacher and the kids in your class know that there is a God who sets things up in this way and commands us to obey. What this means is tomorrow when you're at lunch and you see uh, some other student who doesn't have anyone to sit with, you need to realize that this is not some random event. God chose you to be a Christian and put you in that school so that you could obey him and go and sit with that person that hasn't, doesn't have any other friends to sit with him so that God can use your obedience to teach that person that there is a God in heaven who loves the lonely, that there is a God in heaven who is friends when people have no other friends. What this means is if you get in an argument with your parents 
you need to realize that God has chosen you to be a Christian so that when, you're, when the argument is done and it's time for you to confess and ask for forgiveness and say that you're sorry, that you can obey God and go and say you're sorry to your parents for arguing with them so that your little brother or your little sister can know that there is a God who forgives people through Jesus. What this means is if you have a grandma or a grandpa who doesn't know Jesus, and maybe grandma or grandpa has been sick, not everything, writes in, not everything is right with grandma or grandpa, you need to know that God has chosen you to be a Christian and put you with grandma and grandpa so that you can obey him and pray for those who are sick so that God can use your obedience to help grandma or grandpa know that there is a God in heaven who gives life, who heals people. See, this is God's plan for rescuing the world. It's not some sort of plan that only 60-year-olds are supposed to be. The way God set this up is it doesn't matter what your age. If he's chosen you to be a Christian, if he's helped you believe in Jesus, he did so so that you could participate in the plan. And what's our role in the plan? We obey. God chooses us, brings us up here, gives us instructions and tells us what to do, how to act when we're at school, how to act when we're with our family, how to act when we're with our grandparents, how to act when we're with our friends, so that when we do what God tells us to do, God can use our obedience to bring other people to him. Now, sometimes it can be scary, I know, to think about telling somebody who doesn't know about Jesus about Jesus. Sometimes you can think, well, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to do this. But the great thing about this plan that Peter tells us, everybody can do this. All you gotta realize is that God has chosen you to be a Christian and now wants you to go out and obey him. Wants you to go out and through the power of the Holy Spirit, obey God, and God will use your obedience to help bring other people to know that, that Jesus loves them and died on a cross so they could have forgiveness of sins. You think you can do that? That's the plan. And God's inviting you and me to participate with him because God will not allow Satan to stay in control of this world or people's lives. He wants to go and rescue them and bring them back. Now, most of the sermon this morning has really been oriented towards those who are younger. But like I said, this is the plan. God doesn't have two plans, one for those who are 20 and under and one for those who are 20 and older. This is the plan. And so I wanna close with a testimony that really is for those of us who are older here, uh, who are not maybe elementary school age. And it's a testimony that demonstrates how this plan is meant to work. And the person who's gonna share that testimony is Kelly Bopri. So Kelly, who is a volunteer in our high school ministry, Kelly, come and share what God's been doing in your life and how he's been using you uh, to rescue a part of this world. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, the only child to my parents and living in the midst of chaos and brokenness. My father struggled with addictions and at the age of three, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, a progressive disease that attacks your central nervous system. By the age of four, my mom was no longer able to walk and was in a wheelchair. My childhood was full of tension, 
arguments, fear and anxiety over my mom's illness and nights of wondering if my dad was going to come home. My mom sat in her chair, not able to do much, while I wondered if or when things would ever change. God was not a huge part of our family. My dad did not go to church or believe. However, my mom believed in prayer, teaching me to pray at a very young age. I remember praying daily to God, who I had not yet met, to change my family. I asked the Lord for a father who did not drink, yell, and one who would care for us. And I would ask God to heal my mom, to work a miracle, and allow my life to be normal. During my childhood, I wondered why God didn't show up, why he wasn't rescuing me. In the eighth grade, my mom got even more ill. She went into the hospital with an MS flare-up, leaving me home with my dad for three months. My dad drank a lot more during the course of that three months. My sophomore year of high school, I became angrier with my family and God. My mom relied on my dad to put her to bed at night, and he would not come home until the bars closed. I was very disappointed with my mom, my dad, and God. I did not understand my, why my mom would stay with this man, nor did I get why my dad struggled with addiction, and why God would let me stay in such a life where I felt trapped. By the end of my sophomore year of high school, my mom's illness became even more worse, and my parents finally decided to divorce. That was the beginning of God's rescue and redemption in my life. As my mom went into a nursing home, I was left to move to Michigan with my aunt and uncle, leaving my mom behind. I moved to Michigan at the age of 16 into an intact, loving, and kind family. The adjustment was difficult, and I felt disconnected in a place where I really didn't know anyone. But God began to pursue me. It was here, September 2000, at a high school youth group that God made himself known to me. I had always heard about God and prayed to him and believed that because I was dealt a crappy family life that I would, that I would make it to heaven as a gift for being good and for going through difficulties. God spoke to me at that youth group, letting me know that I didn't know him, letting me know that I was lost and in need of a heavenly father to save me. And at the end of September, I gave my life to Christ. God began to change who I was. He began to work at softening a hardened heart. He began to allow me to experience love and compassion for him and for my aunt and uncle, and ultimately he freed me from years and years of pain and disappointment. He provided a rescue for me, allowing me to have a chance to become his daughter and not follow in the footsteps of what the world had offered me. For Christmas in 2001, my aunt gave me a Bible. I remember writing my dad's name in the back of that Bible that day with a statement, pray for his salvation. God in his faithfulness reminded me of my need to pray for my father, to trust God that he would continue to redeem my life and brokenness and to remain steadfast. A few years ago, Pastor Samra asked the congregation to pray for three people to come to know the Lord. So naturally, I continued to pray for my father. I would, talk, I would talk with him about God, and he knew I was active in my church, but would make comments about God not being real, that if he attended church, he would be lit on fire, and comments about how there was not a heaven. I continued to pray for him, sending him letters to tell him about who Jesus is. June of 2013, on the high school missions trip, I cried out to God again for my dad's salvation. God heard this call. A series of unfortunate events unfolded in my dad's life in August of 2013 related to his addiction that brought him to a low. Over Labor Day of 2013, my husband and I purchased my father a Bible, encouraging him to read the Gospels to understand who Jesus is and for comfort. 
I could not believe it when I called my dad shortly after my visit, and he said he was reading in Matthew. He even said he had begun to pray, and he stated, I've been on my knees praying to God. God was working. This was the first time I had ever heard my dad say he prayed, let alone on his knees. Two weeks ago, we were talking on the phone, and he commented on what he was reading in Luke and shared that he was beginning to understand who Jesus is. On November 23, 2013, I was in Ohio visiting my father, and I asked him to pull out his Bible and read the following passages from Romans 3, 22 through 26, 5, 8 through 11, and 10, 9 through 13, which reads, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For it is with your, oops, uh, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I asked my dad what that means, and he talked about a need to know Christ, to call on his name, acknowledging him as Lord, and asking for forgiveness. My dad looked me in the eyes, and he said, I accept Jesus. <laughs> God prompted me to ask my dad if he was ready to pray to Jesus and ask Jesus into his life, and he said yes. After 12 years of faithful prayer for my father, after many tears shed for him, God allowed me to be part of the reconciliation process of my father coming to know our Lord and Savior. My dad is now a believer, three months sober, and instead of the back of my Bible reading, pray for his salvation, it now reads, God answered with his date of salvation. As I look at my childhood and what I went through, I think of how kind of God to choose me to move to Michigan, to choose my aunt and uncle to live with. By God's grace, I'm actually thankful for the suffering he gave me to see how he has used me to bring my dad to salvation. I know that I would not be standing here serving our Lord if he wouldn't have rescued me out of the darkness and brokenness of my home. God never left me when I went through the desert. He was always right there claiming me as his child, and he continues to remind me of his faithfulness each day. Thank you. That's God's plan, is that he chose uh, Kelly's aunt and uncle, and they obeyed him, and God used that to bring Kelly to faith. And God chose Kelly, and taught her how to live and how to pray, and she obeyed, and God used that to bring her dad to faith just a little over a week ago. And we get to light the candle for him this morning and celebrate, God is rescuing this world. He's not going to allow, he does not want to allow anyone in this world to be away from his blessing and from his grace and from his mercy. And God's inviting, just like Kelly, he's inviting you and I to participate with him. God chooses, we obey, and God uses that to save other people.